This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi loves, welcome back to another episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast. Today's episode is very raw and real because I'm sharing so many personal stories as well and we are discussing very sensitive subject and if you can relate to this, I hope it will give you some clarity and some kind of direction and it will help you to resolve the problems you're going through. So my guest today is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, and we're discussing how to spot the narcissist, how to avoid the narcissist trap, best solutions for toxic relationships and abuse, and so much more. Dr. Jamie Zuckerman is a national expert in narcissistic abuse and licensed clinical psychologist specializing in the treatment of adults with anxiety and mood disorders. She's a highly sought-after relationship coach for both men and women nationwide who are experiencing or have experienced narcissistic abuse in relationships of all types. She's also an owner of the Z Group, a therapy practice specializing in the treatment of adults with mood disorders, anxiety, and relationship difficulties, and the impact of life's everyday stress. Dr. Z is a frequent contributor to several media outlets, including Vogue, Elle magazine, Shape, Women's Health, the Washington Post, the Harvard Business Review, CBC 3 Philadelphia, NBC 10 Philadelphia, Fox 29 News. She's also made guest appearances on several podcasts and famous shows. In April of 2022, Dr. Z released her first book, Find Your Calm, a workbook to manage anxiety. It is an interactive guide that offers various exercises to help reduce daily stress and anxiety. 
Dr. Zuckerman's second book, Find Good Habits, a workbook for daily growth, was released August 2022. Dr. Zuckerman is also the host of It's Me, Dr. Z podcast. So today, Dr. Zuckerman and I will be discussing everything about narcissistic behavior, toxic relationships, how does someone become a narcissist, how to recognize red flags and not to fall in the trap of narcissists, And if you happen to be in a relationship with a narcissist, what's the best way to get out? Where do you start? Why is it so hard to leave a narcissist? How you not lose yourself in relationships and how not to lose your self-confidence in toxic relationships and why do we attract narcissists and so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being my guest. And we are so thrilled to have you on. And I'm so excited to start it. So I guess let's dive in. Would you please tell the listeners about yourself, your career? How did you decide to get in this field? Sure. Uh, so my name is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in Philadelphia. And um, I especially in narcissistic abuse in relationships of all kinds, whether it's uh, friendships, romantic relationships, family members, um, and help people kind of in three different parts, either come to the understanding that they're actually in this type of abusive relationship because it's uniquely different, um, how to navigate through it, but then also post-separation, how to manage the abuse that unfortunately continues after the fact. How did you decide to become a psychologist in this field? Yeah. So I didn't start out um, in narcissistic abuse. I always worked with adults. Um, and when I went into private practice many, many moons ago, um, I I started seeing a lot more women just by nature of my practice. And um, there was a handful who would come in and kind of describe the toxic environment that they were in and you know you kind of realize that they were in these types of narcissistic abusive relationships and nobody under when they were coming in they didn't understand what it was and why it was so different and why it was so difficult to get out and what was unique about this particular type of abuse Um, and I just from that realized there really wasn't a an accurate and people know what narcissism is but I, I think you know, they look at it in a very simplistic term, um, you know, someone who's full of themselves and thinks they're wonderful and, and great, but that's not always a narcissist. And and we're leaving out a significant chunk of what narcissistic personality disorder is and what it looks like. So I just think it, it, it kind of developed from there that there wasn't this really good understanding in kind of the public about what this is and what this looks like. And, you know, one of the biggest things with this type of covert abuse is is an understanding that you're in it in the first place and having that awareness um, and realizing there's a blueprint to this and that there's help to, to get out. So it, it kind of just stemmed from there. And then when the pandemic hit and people were stuck at home um, and couldn't get out and couldn't leave, couldn't go to work. And um, it, it got, it got worse obviously because people couldn't leave their houses and social media was really their only outlet. And I think when people started sharing stories and started hearing about other people, um, there was there was a lot of validating that took place, and it just kind of really went, you know, I think for for 
if we pick one thing that good that came out of that, it was the education of it, I think, um, became pretty, pretty mainstream. It's so hard to recognize it when you are in a relationship with narcissists because they will do anything possible to turn it in to you, make you at fault. And you're thinking like you're crazy yourself, right? Like not you, it's actually them. But how does someone become a narcissist? What are past traumas or childhood traumas that lead into this behavior? So there's a there's a couple of different schools of thought on this. Um, some people will say that it's genetic, you know, and that there's actual brain differences in the brain of a narcissist versus the brain of somebody who's not a narcissist. But for, for the most for the most part, um, it really is the result of learned patterns of behavior. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if your parents are a narcissist or one parent is a narcissist that you then are going to raise a mini narcissist. Um, it doesn't work just like that. So it, it really stems from when you're a child and you're growing up, children kind of, in order to make sense of the world around them, develop strategies at, at a young age to be able to navigate their environment. Um, and a lot of times these strategies work really well for them. But as they go into adulthood, sometimes these strategies that worked in that toxic environment you grew up in, you don't need them anymore. They're not necessary anymore, but yet you continue to engage in those patterns in your adult life. And it, it kind of starts to hit a wall and it doesn't really work anymore. And your relationships suffer and your, you know, your self-worth and all of that stuff. So, um, but as far as narcissistic personality disorder goes, typically what we see are um, high emotional kind of upbringings, right? Um, or we see things like, um, you know, one parent, let's say, is really hard on their child. Nothing they ever do is right. Nothing they ever do is good enough. So the child develops these strategies to kind of compensate for that and, and, make themselves feel better about themselves to an unhealthy extent. Or you have a child where um, they're the golden child, right? That nothing they do could ever be wrong. And that they are kind of an extension of the parents and that they there's no consequences for their actions. So they grow up thinking that rules don't apply to them. The law doesn't apply to them. Um, they're entitled to whatever they want and they don't really care who they have to hurt in the process to, to get that. So there's not one set way that you become a narcissist, um, but it's more so an unpredictable, unstable upbringing where somebody's self-worth is really kind of, of targeted. It's a really painful subject for me personally because I fell into trap of narcissists before and spent a few years in a relationship. And it was so hard because I did not recognize red flags at first because he told me, oh, uh, my ex-girlfriend was crazy. She was bipolar. She had depression. And she was so upset because I was going out with my friends. Um, and a few years later, I ended up in being that spot, and he was calling me crazy bitch, and telling me that he's going out with his friends, and I'm not going because it's boys only, and boys trips, and guys nights, and all that, and it was a lot of it, and also, besides that, the person would make anything possible to make you at fault for anything just 
yeah, like you said, in patterns and behaviors, you can definitely apply that because the way the person grew up, it was the golden child and the rules don't apply. So he was never wrong. He was always right. And it was always my fault. And I had to apologize for the things he done wrong. And if he would do something, I would caught him on it he would say that never happened are you crazy like what are you talking about i never done this like what do you mean it's obvious i've seen it with my own eyes no you didn't see it that's not that never happened crazy making because then you doubt yourself you doubt your perception of reality and that's that's gaslighting you know and gaslighting isn't just you disagree with with what happened it's a deliberate attempt to manipulate your reality and you're already at a place where you know and I'm so sorry you went through that and and you know and it's and I think you can you can understand that it's not you know I always say narcissistic abusive relationships are all toxic but not all toxic relationships are narcissistic abusive type relationships so you know you you know firsthand then that when you know people listening may say well okay if they if you caught them if they're denying it like they're lying that's easy for people on the outside to say, but when you've been involved in this type of systematic breakdown of your sense of self, it's like a slow trickle. You don't realize you're drowning until you're drowning, right? So it's a slow trickle. So it's it's easy for people to say, well, he's lying, right? Or she's lying. But when you're so used to kind of being in this shell of yourself and not trusting yourself and not trusting your perception, it's easy for them at that point to say like no you're crazy that didn't happen you're wrong because you then kind of depend on them to define your reality because they've they've stripped you of that again systematically and slowly all throughout you know the years that you've been with them um it's 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 really difficult yeah my self-esteem was broken into pieces I had to like get myself back together and I had to really find that self-worth and I had to really find the self-confidence and I struggled with it for a while and it was so hard, but because I fell in this trap and the worst thing is the hard to get out because you are so used to it, but you don't feel worthy to get out because you feel like you're not able to even have it. You can't live without them. Yeah. And not because you love them so much. You literally believe that you are not going to be yeah. capable of functioning in the outside world. Yeah, and it's toxic cycle, but it's so hard to break in from that cycle. But, but besides red flags that I mentioned, what are the main red flags to recognize so you catch it on time? Other red flags in them. In them. So yeah. you know, I think you hit on some really important ones that you know they describe all their exes as crazy. And so what I always tell people, and I'm just going to kind of tag on to what you already said about that, Somebody who has depression, somebody who has bipolar disorder, let's say they did have, let's say the exes all have that. Those two, th that in no way looks crazy, right? I mean, maybe if somebody's in a bipolar manic state, but if you're medicated and you're in, th I mean, someone who's depressed doesn't look crazy. So already that statement's flawed, right? Um, so people are with bipolar disorder and depression aren't crazy. They, 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 function just fine. So, um, you know, with help and all that. So, so that's number one. Number two, if you feel that you just got swept off your feet 
really fast. You don't know what the hell just happened. You go on one date and they're sitting there telling you, you are the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. I have been waiting for you. I have been praying for you. Can't you feel this? Like, I, I feel like we speak the same language. We're so much alike. Like, how crazy is this connection? We have to be soulmates. Maybe we met another life. And I know there's people listening saying, well, I married the person I went on the, you know, my first date with, we said we were soulmates and we're great. We've been married 20 years. That's great. But you're like 0.000001% of this, right? So if you hear any of what I just said, soulmates, any of that early on in the relationship, run, just leave. Honestly, before you start to get sucked in, and I am kind of making a blanket statement about that. And here's why. Not because you're not wonderful, not because you're not an amazing person, but because on what criteria are they basing this, this undying love for you? They literally know nothing about you. And so while, listen, don't get me wrong. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how much money you have, how successful you are, where you come from. When somebody is telling you how amazing you are and complimenting you and telling you how connected they feel to you, it feels so good. We're all susceptible to that. And the only way you're not is if you know the red flags, which obviously is why you're doing this. But, um, you know, it's no it's no one's fault. We all can easily get sucked into this. So if you hear those things, you know, it's not it's not based on anything real because they don't know your middle name. They don't know your birthday. They don't know what food you like, what music you like. They don't really even know about your your career path. They know nothing about you to base those statements on. Do they have a lot of friends? Or do they have a lot of kind of superficial acquaintances? Um, how do they speak to other people, especially in like the helping industry, right? Or the, you know, waiters, waitresses, bartenders, those kinds of things. You want to look for lavish gifts really early on. Things that don't, that that are like above and beyond. I don't mean they occasionally get you flowers, but I mean, you're going to on vacations, you're getting gifts, you're getting jewelry, you're getting bags, you're getting shoes, wh whatever it is. Um, and it's excessive. They're contacting you constantly, which in the beginning is amazing because who? no one in the beginning of dating is, I wonder, are they going to call? Are they going to call? I hope they call. Should I call? Should I text them back? This is the worst. In this, you don't have to do that because they're all over it. And so it's a relief and people feel good. They're connecting with me. They're checking in. Good morning. I love you. Um, you know, they're planning your wedding. They're talking about your kids' names, right? Sending flowers to your office or your house multiple times a week. It's just excessive. Um, and and I, you know, I say this a lot um, that Disney, right, really kind of screwed us all up in terms of our view of relationships because, you know, and I, my girls love watching Frozen and in Frozen and most of the, you know, most of the things we watch, animated movies, she meets the prince, they know each other for five minutes. They fall madly in love and they want to get married. And I'm sitting here with my two girls going, that's not how that works. <laughs> like, they don't. <laughs> so, you know, I think we've, as a society, have really done ourselves a disservice of thinking this fairy tale romance exists because, okay, maybe, like I said, 0.1%, but it doesn't work like that at first, right? So it has to be more organic. So if it feels like this fairy tale knocked you off your feet, it is more likely than not, not healthy. The other thing, are they asking questions about you on your dates? And if they are, do they remember anything that you said? Do you feel like they're asking you the same crap over and over again? They're not really paying attention to what you're saying. 
Yeah, so true. Definitely. I had that. He was telling me, oh, we're going to get married in six months, going to get engaged and all that. And I was like, what? No, it's way too soon. I don't even know you. But then it ended up on being a few years, not even having any ring or anything. <laughs> well, so that that also that's something, you know, where they make promises and dangle this carrot, usually something about marriage, kids, a ring and dangle this in front of you called future faking, where they, they come up with these promises to suck you in that never happen um, and use these kind of to to just give you these little if you got into an argument, they may throw it back in to see if they can kind of get you back a little bit. And so it's these promises are used as part of that love bombing to keep you stuck. How do you safely get out of this? Like what would be the first step? So I think there's a lot of variables in this. Um, it depends on how long you've been together. Do you have children together? The financial situation that you're in, do you have access to your finances or was there also financial abuse going on? Which is, you know, you have no access to your to your money. You weren't allowed to work. You have no income. You have no earning potential if you were to leave. And that's why they do that so that they can keep you stuck for financial reasons as well. The biggest thing to remember is that there's a huge safety component with narcissistic abusive relationships. It is not a typical breakup. You can't get out of it like a typical breakup. It, it is one of the few scenarios where with my patients, I actually have to have an exit strategy for them um, physically and psychologically. So when people leave these relationships, when they're actually in that stage of leaving, and immediately after is one of the most dangerous times and highest risk for violence. So you really want to make sure that you are safe before you do any of this. Um, I tell people if they can and can do it safely, set aside some money every so often so that you have access to funds, give it to somebody else to hold for you. But just so you have an out because you don't want the reason to be as best as you can to be money. So if it's narcissistic abuse and if they withhold finances from you, you want to see if you can kind of set that aside and have that um, to, to fall back on. At this point, chances are they've isolated you pretty well from family and friends. And they do that for a couple of reasons. One, so that um, you have no access to anyone to talk about the abuse. Nobody can kind of um, change your mind, so to speak. They want to have total control over your thought process and your emotions. They don't want anyone else to have that access to you. So even if you feel you have nobody around you, it's so important to have somebody, and if it can't be a therapist, it, it's important to have somebody that's objective to the situation. Um, and I tell people, even if you haven't spoken to this person in six months because they, you've been so isolated from them, I promise you more times than not, they're concerned about you. And if you go to them, even if you haven't spoken to them in forever, they will be welcoming of you. And you really need that person to say, okay, listen, you just did X, Y, and Z. You know, when you do this, it's your birthday. You know that they're going to call you and try to suck you in or start an argument with you. You know, it's Christmas. They're going to start with you to give you that objectivity. So you can remember the blueprint and prep for that ahead of time. That's super important. I also tell people that on average to leave a narcissistic abusive relationship takes on average between let's say seven to eight times of leaving before you actually leave for good. And I want people to know that if you leave 
and come back. That is not because you failed. It is not because you're weak. It's not because you can't do this. It's that you you have to disengage sometimes in a very systematic way. And sometimes it takes a couple times to be able to get that courage to be able to leave for the last time. Because there will be a time where you leave for the last time. It just may take you a couple times to get there to be able to see they pull you back in. You think they're going to change. They don't. You see it. You leave again and back and forth until you get to the point where you are have enough self kind of um, confidence, even if it's a sliver at that point, to know that it's it's going to happen again and it's easier to stay out that time. Do narcissistic behavior and abuse go hand in hand or it's usually one or another? No, they go hands they go hands in hand. Yeah. It, narcissistic personality disorder in relationships is abusive behavior. Um it's emotional abuse. It's very manipulative and for covert type abuse on the outside, they could be charming. Everyone could love them. They're the life of the party. They're attractive, oh, successful. Well, just anyone that walks by will do yeah. anything for them. Like, well, yes, go in and out. And at home, it's monster. Monster. So said you like, oh, no, how do you think that? Well, this person. Right. Is and so you can imagine if you're being gaslit and being told you're crazy, none of this is happening. And in addition to that, outside the house or outside the relationship, Everybody else thinks they're wonderful. And you're sitting here going, am I making this worse than it is? Is it really this bad? Am I overreacting? Am I being dramatic? Am I crazy? So it's really, really tough. And, and you know, people will say all the time, they know what they're doing. Yes, they know exactly what they're doing. Sometimes they're so used to doing it that it, it's habitual in nature. So it, it's like on automatic pilot. So it may seem like they don't know, but if you call it to their attention, they know exactly what they're doing. It is a very calculated from day one. It is calculated. They know what they're doing. You're an object to them. And it's extremely hurtful when you go through these relationships with this type of abuse, only to realize after the fact, you've been broken up two weeks, they're already with somebody else saying they're going to marry them, blasting it all over social media. And you realize they're going to do the same exact to them. And I always hear this, was that relationship even real? Did they even love me? You know, and, and, you know, not in the way that you or I love. Right. But um, it's really, it's a really tough pill to swallow. It's with, and especially with the covert abuse, people have this misconception with narcissists that they can't control their anger. Right. They go into these That's rages. Like one. Yes. Like punching but, and going. But here's the thing. And this is the tricky part where it causes you to feel like you're walking on eggshells. You feel responsible for their outburst. You have to do things a certain way so they don't freak out because they can't control their anger. But here's what, what a lot of times people don't realize. Covert narcissists are extremely skilled at controlling their anger. There is a very good reason why they are so charming outside. They're not raging outside. They're not exploding at work. They're not exploding at the dinner table, right? With friends and they're great. They're very skilled at controlling their anger. Those outbursts they have at home, the sole purpose of them is to scare you, to manipulate you, to make you feel like, okay, he punched a wall or she threw this at my head. You know, they really want to hurt me. And it's, it's, it's used for manipulation. So, you know, when people, People 
say like they can't control their anger. Yes, they absolutely can. Very well, actually. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this because I thought the opposite because like you explained, I thought that there were some behaviors that triggered them, but actually no. And these people usually are very thought through, like they think every little detail on how to hurt you. And sometimes I thought like, how does someone has heart to do that to another person? Like you don't have any soul There's no empathy. I to do that to someone I would be afraid to hurt someone in such a way Yes. and like as far as sexual abuse someone could say that oh I don't like your attitude today so we're not gonna have it today like really you don't like my attitude today <laughs> well my Right. attitude caused by your actions <laughs> Right. And they'll hold that against you. And sexual abuse, you know, I, I just had somebody say this to me the other day. And I was, you know, I think because I am in this field of work. And, and, and so I am so used to looking at it a certain way, but people forget sexual abuse in, you know, in a narcissistic relationship, just because you're married and just because you're dating them, just because you've had sex with them before, doesn't mean they, they can't sexually assault you. And, you know, it looks a little bit different. Sure. But they withhold sex to manipulate you to make you think that you're unattractive to make you think you're you're undesirable to make you think they're getting it elsewhere which most of the times they are because they feel they're entitled to multiple partners but they will make you feel it's your fault so they're going to go elsewhere right if you don't like it leave it's your fault it was all your fault um but the other thing they do is if you you know worked all day and you're exhausted and the last thing you feel like doing is having sex They can do things like hold you down. They will do things like start being uncontrollable with their anger as a way to, oh my God, okay, I'll have sex with you. Just make it stop. Just make it stop. If I have sex with you, will you stop punching the wall? If I have sex with you, will you stop punching yourself? If I have sex with you, will you stop acting like this? And then all of a sudden they're fine. They use it to manipulate. And so people don't necessarily look at that as sexual abuse. But it is very much so. Um, you know, people say, well, you're married. How can you be sexually like this? Exactly like this. Yeah, it's sad, but it's true. And it's really can happen to someone, but it's so hard to get out of that cycle because you're so broken that I know you have to get out of victim, like victim mindset and you have to like pick yourself up and still do it. But for those people who are in the cycle all the time, they can't do that. They, even if they get out of victim mindset, they still... not able to do it because it requires some help like having seen multiple even therapists to go through this i guess it's trauma because Yeah. Uh, oh, it most is certainly trauma. it is. It's, it's more of a complex. So PTSD is usually like an isolated event, right? It is a distinct beginning, middle and end point. When you're dealing with domestic violence, you have more and it's not in the DSM, but it's more of a complex PTSD. So it's a culmination of traumas over an extended period of time. So it's very common in domestic violence, very common in narcissistic abuse, um, where it's just your, your physical self, physiologically, neurologically, you are constantly in a state of fight or flight. You are constantly in survival mode, which is why a lot of times people who are in 
narcissistic abusive environments for years have significant health conditions, medical conditions, because their bodies are just constantly on hyper, like they're hyper alert to danger because that's how it's survival. And so your body takes a hit, your immune system, your joints, your stomach, your headaches, I mean, your sleep, all of it. Not to mention when you're with a narcissist, you know, they use sleep as a, as a huge manipulative tactic for you. They know if you don't sleep, you're going to feel worse in general, because we all do when we don't sleep. So that's also something to keep in mind too. Um, it's extremely difficult to exactly like you said, and I like how, I like how you phrase it. Even if you get out of that quote victim mindset, you're still so entrenched and, and trapped in this type of relationship. You'll say, well, can't you just leave? No, not this type of relationship. Toxic, maybe over time with help. This is different because this is so manipulative in such nuanced ways that it changes your brain. It literally changes your brain and how you think. Yeah, it's extremely, extremely difficult to get out. And it takes, I say this all the time, people that get out of narcissistic abusive relationships are hands down some of the strongest people I have ever met to be able to get out of those things because it's beyond difficult. And you mentioned Doable, but difficult. <laughs> so true. And you mentioned body body changes you go through and all the health conditions you can get for me it was terrible anxiety and panic attacks that to a point yes. that I couldn't eat and to a point that I couldn't even be by myself because I would have a few panic attacks a day. It's super scary. And, you know, when you're having panic attacks, you isolate even more. You're scared to go out. What if I have one when I'm out? What if I have one around yeah, you know, around him? What What's he going to do? I, I can't tell him he's not going to be comforting, but maybe he will be comforting. That's the thing. He may be, people that are narcissistically abusive are not, they're abusive all the time, but they're not always going to appear the, the mean version. Like they may, for no reason whatsoever, when you're having a panic attack, decide to hug you and tell you they love you and everything's going to be okay. And then when you have a panic attack in the morning the next day, then they're terrible to you. So it, you don't you don't know what end is up and you don't know if you're going to be supported. Oh, like, oh, you can control yourself? Yeah. What's going on with you? Like, right. you're so weak. You can't even yeah. go through this? Just yeah. like get yourself together. Well, why am I having this? Well, because right. of reasons. That caused right. that. Right. Right. Absolutely. And and they know that. And they, you know, they they know that. And they know that you will more than likely blame yourself, think something's wrong with you. And even if you know that they are toxic, you'll think that you have some sort of responsibility in the way they're treating you. Like they're doing this because I did this right or if they if I hadn't done x y and z they wouldn't have freaked out or the mentality that if I have everything a certain way then they won't freak out but that's the message that they want you to have because then what they do is they switch the rules without telling you so here you are thinking that you have everything exactly how it needs to be so they don't freak out but then they purposely change the rules on you and freak out and then you're like wait I had everything exactly right and so it's just mind-numbing Oh, what's the main reason why do we attract those people? And are they looking for a special type? And how can someone fall in a trap? So I, I always like to say, I don't think 
non-narcissists initially seek out narcissists because you have to remember in the beginning, they're not acting abusive. I mean, they are. We just don't realize that the love bombing is abuse. We think it's something else in the beginning. So it's not that we attract that because we're not attracting the bad stuff yet, right? So it's more they are attracted to anybody who's going to fall for that love bombing, which is, again, many people. I think what happens is the people that tends to get really kind of entrenched in these relationships maybe tend to be people who are, which is still even hard to say because they manipulate you so much that you're not the same person during the relationship you are in the beginning. So I say this with a lot of caution, but people who are, you know, okay, putting their needs second, who are used to not being comfortable voicing their opinion or not being, um, you know, feeling selfish for putting themselves first. So I think that does play into it. But but what a big misconception is, is that narcissists don't go for weak people. A lot of times narcissists will go for people who are, so let's take male narcissists and females for a second. They don't go necessarily for weak females. A lot of times male narcissists will go for women who are successful, who are intelligent, who are attractive, who are go-getters, who, you know, who, who are kind of important in their, whatever they do and are strong-willed because it's more supply for the narcissist to be able to tear down that type of person than somebody who's already in their eyes torn down, let's say, not that they are, but in the narcissist's eyes. Um, so it's not always weak people and weak people don't just attract narcissists it, it doesn't really doesn't work like that it's really who falls for the love bombing that's why the red knowing the red flags are so important yeah I can say that I'm very strong and I'm always like career driven and I always been successful since I was like 17 and I it did happen to me and the worst thing is why it happened to me because in my family everyone like kind of I mean I was raised the way that do not put your needs first because otherwise you will be coming off as selfish but no like now I understand it took me like three therapists to go through all this and to recognize my needs and to actually and that they matter define all of this because if I would not be raised that way I would not fall in this trap because I thought oh I like to please the person I like to make them feel great I would do anything to make them happy but then this person would say oh that's not good enough that's you're still not good enough no matter what you do and then you go out of all your ways to doing even better and better and then this person says oh what have you done for me <laughs> right exactly and it it goes back to that that pattern i was saying how it kind of you can see how it extends into adulthood even for non-narcissists you're taught your needs don't matter that it's selfish it's familiar for you and a narcissist kind of enables that right so it in a weird way it enables the pattern for you that worked as a kid now maybe not so much as an adult but it's very familiar for you. And it's, you're, you know, you're good at doing that, right? You're good at caretaking. You're good at, but you realize through therapy that you can still very much be a caretaker and, a, a, you know, and a giver and simultaneously still put your needs first. In fact, you'll probably be a better caretaker if you put your needs first. Um, but it's a long, you know, it's a long 
process. Um, and like I said, anyone is susceptible to this, which is why, you know, I'm so happy that you, you're talking about it. Yeah, and I recognize that now that if I'm fulfilled and I feel like myself, I can do more, I can help more than if I'm totally drained and not feeling myself, you can't pour out of empty cup. So it took me a long and hard way to learn, but I finally did. Yeah, I'm glad I, I recognize now the red flags but now I'm like so careful about all these things because so many narcissists out there yeah you know because it, it's it's very underdiagnosed. you know a lot of people say well it's only such a small percentage of the population no those are the no because they don't remember they don't go to therapy if they do go to therapy it's because their significant other says like we need to go to couple therapy and i'm always like don't go to couples therapy with a narcissist don't go um you know, they don't go to therapy. It's pointless because they will turn everything on you and they would just tell right. you. Your only hope is to have a therapist that sees it and can kind of use that. But then they'll say they hate the therapist and they don't want to see you and you're horrible and terrible. You don't know what you're talking about and they won't come back. So there's a lot of narcissists out there that, that are not diagnosed that would, you know, they're above a label. They would never call themselves a narcissist. Um, I always tell people kind of like what you exactly what you did. You need to go to therapy, not because something's wrong with you, but you need to go to therapy to be able to kind of almost like regroup it. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you not not lose yourself in this? How do you not to lose self-confidence if you fall in this trap? Yeah, I, I think if you're in in a in a relationship with someone you're hearing that you're going, oh my God, I think this is this is what I'm in, or yes, I recognize I was in that. By the time you realize it, you are gonna have a significant decrease in self-worth and self-esteem and self-confidence from where you were when you first started. I have so many people tell me after the fact they're a shell of their former selves. They don't know, like I said, what what their favorite color is they, because they were told what to wear. They don't know what styles they like because they were told what to wear. They were told what to eat. They were told what to weigh. They were So they have no narrative for themselves. And so it's more about find, like re, almost figuring out who you want to become, what parts of you prior to this you want to maintain. Um, but I, I don't, I think it's about acknowledging the self-esteem you've lost and then focusing on the healing aspect of how to kind of put your pieces back together and who you are and reestablishing a sense of identity rather than trying not to lose your self-esteem. Because I, I think I know when you're when you're in these types of covert abusive relationships, you don't realize you're being abused until later, if at all, and and your self esteem has already taken a hit. So, I think you have to recognize the red flags as your way to get out before you get in. Once you're in, then it's about regrouping and and finding your your self identity and self worth again and getting you know back there. And where can all listeners find you, your information, your books? Um, so I'm on Instagram. I post a lot of stuff about narcissism, um, anxiety, depression on there. And that's um, Dr. Um, D, well, I'll just, if you put in Dr. Z, psychologist, it'll show up, but it's DR period Z underscore psychologist, but I'll show up if you just put in Dr. Z, psychologist. Um, my website's drjamiezuckerman.com and my books. Um, I have an anxiety management workbook and a um, 
habits and patterns and goals and how to change them and set them. Um, similar type of workbook on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, and podcasts. Um, it's me, Dr. Z. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Dr. Z. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. And thank you for talking about this. Yeah, thank you. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.